This is the story of Error and the Scribe. Chapter 4 Coffee with Red We are releasing these episodes serially, so if you haven't heard those, go back and listen to the rest before this one. Hello, my name is Red, Red Cinders. Her voice was low, hard, and steady. Confidence and brilliance laid low in this unsuspecting gardener. She said this while coming around to the other side of the desk to greet me face to face, reaching for my hand. And you are? There was a glint of panic there. She must have been nervous on account of me being a stranger. She wasn't used to not knowing who was who and where they were at all times. But also, because her iBot had scanned me earlier, and if it did, it would have come back with an ambiguous genetic makeup. Another feature of my suit, it scrambles most scans. And while all this was going on, Error could be causing all kinds of trouble on their network, giving their security systems a run for their money. I tried not to let this thought show up in my grin when I told her my name. My name is Scribe. Happy to make your acquaintance, Red Cinders. What brings you to my city, Scribe? She asked, sitting on the edge of the desk, taking up the most casual stance she could muster. This was really starting to feel like visiting the school counselor. Sue Ellen brought in our coffee and left again without saying a word. And boy, oh fucking boy, did it smell good. I took wine from the saucer and took a greedy, hot sip. I was about to open my mouth to answer Red when... <coughs> um, hi. Yeah, you're here. So, uh... I'm just going to show myself out. Red, can I grab that stuff from your guy on the way out? He looked anxious to leave. You just cool your jet soul. We've got other business to discuss. And I'm sure this young lady isn't quite ready to let you out of her sights. At least, she'd be wise to keep her eyes on you. She said this with a smile. You ain't looking good, boy. You should come down to the lab. Have one of my sons fix you up again. I could tell she wasn't offering a kindness. There was a sudden chilliness to her tone that flattened the air out of me. No, not again. I won't let your butchers near me. He was not afraid of her, staring her down. His reaction was that of someone who'd been playing this game a long time. Now don't be rude. We have company. Mind your manner, soul. Now, Scribe, we don't get visitors often, but it has been more frequent in the last few months. You would be doing me a great service to tell me what has brought you to this dead city. A carrot. I see. She seemed to consider this for a moment. Do go on. Where did you get this carrot? From a new friend at a trader bar about four days' drive from here. 
I was drinking there with my sister and came into possession of one of your homegrown carrots, which I ate. Damn, this coffee's good. You're welcome. For the coffee. And the carrot, I guess. Listen, scribe. You seem like an upfront and honest individual, and under different circumstances I might have taken more time to get a better judge of your character. But it would seem time isn't on my side, and people will be coming, whether I want them to or not. But first, tell me, what's a carrot to you? It's food. Real food. Healthy food. I ain't seen nothing like it since I was a girl, and that was a very different place than the wasteland desert we find ourselves in. Here, nothing grows, not for hundreds of miles. And I'm looking for a place from my memories that just might be hidden in this desert. That place had carrots. And more relevant to your and this city-specific attraction to me, this place I am trying to get to had the kind of tech that might be able to turn dust into pure, life-giving earth. The kind of soil one might need to grow carrots. Or coffee beans. It had occurred to me at first that coffee beans were not really the kind of reasonable vegetation to cultivate if you're trying to solve the problem of hunger. But when I smelled that delicious coffee, and felt it pour hot and smooth down the back of my throat, I understood why. So you see, I'm just looking for home, and you might know something about where I could find it. I laid my cards, well most of my cards, on the table. They still didn't know about error and I wasn't going to tell them. She was my ace. I just had to hope my honesty and the bait of need would entice this old tiger to give me an in. Well, I appreciate your desire to return home and your honesty with me, scribe. I hope you can understand my caution. My kind of folk are wary of people coming to take what we have worked so hard to achieve here. I want to tell you about the great things we're doing here, Scribe. Ugh. Sol groaned and began rifling around in his pockets. He then pulled out a small silver tincture and dropped a thick, red, viscous liquid into all six eyes. If I have to sit through this again, I have to be high. Remember, she's a fucking liar. He then blinked slowly once and began convulsing while purple steam poured out of his human mouth. When it stopped, he slumped back in his chair and slowly slid down it like he was melting onto the floor. So dramatic. Is he gonna be okay? Hmm? Yeah, he'll be like that for about another 30 minutes. We tried to help get him off the drugs when we first found him, but he wasn't interested in getting help. We'd like to help him get wherever he's going, preferably off the drugs, but he insists on dangerous and painful alteration, beyond what the human body, altered or not, can handle. I fear someday it will kill him. That or the shit you give him to make the drugs. Yeah, I wasn't going to let her crawl away from her responsibility. She was helping to create Frankenstein's monster, and whether or not you believe in his freedom to become whatever he wants to become, You'd have to be pretty cold to watch him go through that kind of pain when the withdrawals hit. Dealers have been doing the same thing to addicts forever. We give him only the minimum he needs to dull the pain during the surgeries. 
I don't know where he gets the rest. We have an accord. Red said this simply, like she had rationalized it a hundred times. Yeah, one where he needs what you've got, or he suffers untold agony. Seems a pretty unfair agreement. What's he got to do for the drugs? He brings us tech, watches our borders, and shares his advancements with us. We leave this godless creature out in the dead city streets. We don't want him here. He's too destructive, too angry at the world, and he doesn't want to be here. I think we make him feel guilt. If a creature like that can feel anything but egotistical self-flagellation. There was something in the way she avoided my gaze that told me things were different once. Maybe once, a long time ago, she did want him here. During this speech, she turned to lean over the desk, both hands palmed down in front of her, head hung in a dramatic pause. I could tell she had done this before. My great-great-grandparents were immigrants from Ireland. They were rejected from New America well after the fall of man. Standing up and casually striding over to the other side of the room. They were some of the many that weren't told where to go just to get the hell out. So they went west and ended up in Oklahoma City. A few years before the city went up in flames. All along the walls, there were posters of young starlets cast in hard shadows. She paused at each image, staring at their faces like she had seen them a thousand times. She knew every inch, and yet was still looking to find some greater meaning lost in their eyes. When it happened, they had just had their third child, and had been living as gypsies for over a decade before settling here to build their family. She slowly returned to her chair on the other side of the desk and planted her thick, wrinkled hands firmly on the back of its rich mahogany arch. When the fires were finally put out, my family was some of the first to come back and rebuild. So you see, scribe, my kin have been here repairing the land for hundreds of years. She was squeezing the back of the chair and looking off into her memories, piecing the bits of lore and history together into a narrative that suited her. We came back then because no one wanted this place but us. It was dead. You said it yourself. She finally took her seat and opened a drawer. We failed for hundreds of years. We lived like scavengers. My family and other survivors led a meager existence, barely alive. Our children were dying of malnourishment. Our women were unable to carry babies to term. We were starving and dying and failing to bring back the earth. She pulled out the biggest bottle of whiskey I had ever seen and poured out two glasses more than three knuckles deep. She slid one across the desk to me. Why wouldn't you just leave? Surely your kin were used to a life on the road. You could have headed for the coast. Some did leave, but others were tied to the land. Their history was here, and for some of them, that's all they had. She took a stiff sip off the top of her whiskey and exhaled a sharp mist of alcohol. Seems a fool's bet to me, taking a sip of my whiskey. It was warm and peaty, 
that tasted like a burning city. And worse, 50 years ago, when I was just a lass, a brutal and terrifying gang of humans moved into this area. The monsters. They came at first to raid the markets, but they didn't just stop at steal and salvage. No, these humans had gone bad. Real bad. They had gone the way we could never go. She then opened another drawer, and to my unbelieving eyes, she pulled out a jar of weed. She then began to roll the biggest joint I had ever seen. Where the fuck had she gotten weed? How could it grow? My eyes must have popped out of my head because she began grinning real wide. Things must be good on the farm, because Red was showing off. At first, one or two people a month would go missing from the markets. But once the traders got wise and stopped coming through here, the monsters started looking for locals to supplement their diet. She lit it up and puffed out a thick cloud of sweet-smelling smoke. One night, they stormed our encampment, destroyed our homes, killed many of our people and took my ma, and my little brother Blue. My daddy was furious. I had never seen this man even raise his voice. He was the kindest, most gentle human I had known, and he was losing it. I was ten. He convinced some of our people to attempt a rescue, and he told me, a peaceful negotiation to be left alone. He was a peaceful man. He just wanted his wife and son back. She passed me the joint. I'm guessing it wasn't so peaceful, I said through pursed lips as I took a big old draw of the devil's lettuce. He and the others tried to talk to them, but their leaders wouldn't listen. They'd tell him his kin were alive and well and just wanted to stay with them. They'd toy with him and promise he could speak to them, then mime their voices. They told him they'd let him go if he brought their weight and food. And eventually, after three days of games, they let him in. But of course, they had been fucking with him the entire time. They had eaten blue on the first day, and my mother had been tortured and had witnessed the death of her son. She was stark raving mad, her mind in pieces from the pain she had endured. Blue was only six years old. Jesus. Yeah, it broke him. They let him take my mother back to our people, and they seemed to leave us alone for a time. But that day, my daddy started looking for a way to keep us safe. He was tired of scavenging for food. He started looking for tech in the ruins of Oklahoma City. He found machines, cameras, bots... He learned how to use them and fashion turrets and program the machines he built. He taught others and became a leader of our people. He knew one day the monsters would be back and we'd have to be ready for them. I see. He had people research every functioning data bank in the city for everything to make it grow. Gardening, hydroponics, environmental control, soil rejuvenation... He used maps to pinpoint where in the city we were most likely to find the tools and resources we would need to build his vision. Genius. I assume a lot of it was lost in the fire, but the basics of what you might need would go unnoticed and unused by most people just looking to survive. Heck, most of what you need could be found in household items. Our people started going out on missions, collecting data, cams, tools, tech, everything we would need to make a new world. All these missions deeper into the city, started drawing the attention of the monsters again. 
I was 17. I remember that day so well. It was just three days after Ma had given birth to my little sister, Belle. There was a tear welling up in her eye, but she didn't let it fall down her cheek, brushing it away as quickly as I had noticed. Your mother had more children? I thought she had gone mad. She didn't answer me. She was caught up in her memory. I was going on my first mission. I had been training for months. I had to plead with my father to let me go, but I was ready. I was going to do a two-person night stealth mission to a factory just outside of the downtown core. It was supposed to be easy, but something went wrong. I got separated from my partner. Lost. I thought I could wait out the night and find my way back in the daylight, but I was found by a small gang of monsters, and before long they were circling my position, calling out to me, taunting me to reveal my location. I was stunned. I didn't know what to do. I was curled up and crying like a little baby. She got real quiet for a moment, then lowered her voice. Suddenly I heard the sound of flesh tearing, and someone falling to the ground. Then some guttural screams and more visceral tearing. Then everything went very quiet. She was there now. You could see it in her eyes. The memory of that night had haunted her. I got up out of my hiding place after a few moments and saw a soul there, gathering up limbs into a sack. Soul? Really? How old is he? I swear he looks barely 25. I do believe that would be the result of his alteration. It is regenerative, after all. You guys are old pals. I wouldn't say that. But he did save me that night. I still don't know if he meant to. When I startled him, he introduced himself. And after helping him stash the limbs at his lab, he took me back to my people. She seemed to be trying to wrap this part of the story up. I wondered then. When? When did he take her back? How long did she stay with him? Were they lovers? There was something more there she wasn't telling me. We got back to discover the camp had been raided. It had been a ruthless fight, with many losses on both sides. Daddy's defense improvements had saved the day in the end, but not before Ma was fatally wounded. He never forgave me for not being there. And I never forgot what my purpose was from that day on. That's a pretty heavy responsibility to put on a kid. It's not like you being there would have helped that much. Wouldn't it have? She had clenched her fists and was staring at the empty space between them with a quiet intensity. I might have been able to save her. From that day on, I vowed to see this fight through to the end. The fight for life. The fight to exist and grow and take back this land. I said nothing. Just took another good long sip of whiskey and another puff off the joint. She did the same. For decades we grew in strength and numbers, always fighting the monsters over territory or salvage. And I'm sure you saw the buildings full of bullet holes. But we had still not learned much more about saving the planet then you yourself could look up at your local library. 
We didn't know how to grow much more than sweet potatoes and southern beans. It wasn't going to be enough to keep us going, and it was a far cry from bringing back Tara. But we didn't know what to do but keep going on. Though this was a sad thought, her face lit up as she recalled the last part of her story to me. Then one day, about four years ago, we had a killer dust storm. It had kept us inside for several days when we got a knock on our front door. We opened the door to a tall woman covered in black fabric, dust pouring off her as she strode through our doors. She had four eyebots and two pairs of robot arms. How she got that far unnoticed is still a mystery, but the robot arms carried huge metal cases. Not with ten men could you lift one, and inside those cases, she brought the gift of life. This woman brought you the tech you needed to repair the soil? I was in disbelief, but I didn't want to seem that interested. Yes, and more. She taught us centuries of advancement. She gave us the tools, taught us how to make more, and then, one month later, disappeared back into the storm. Did this woman have a name? I asked casually as I could, but I couldn't help but wonder if it was her. All in good time. She knew what I wanted, and dangled it in front of me, like the carrot that had led me here. Our friend will be coming too, and the next part of my story has to do with you both. She paused and smiled, making sure to lock eyes with me in a kind of threat. And how you're going to earn my trust enough to learn what I know about the woman from the storm. Well, that's all for today, folks. Thanks for listening. And tune in next time to find out what Scribe's got to do for more info. And what other treasures Red's lush garden might hold.